In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, cleanse my heart and my lips, Almighty God, that I may proclaim your gospel worthily. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. When the sixth hour came, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you deserted me? When some of those who stood by heard this, they said, Listen, he is calling on Elijah. Someone ran and soaked a sponge in vinegar and put it on a reed, gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait and see if Elijah will come to take him down. But Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last, and the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The centurion who was standing in front of him had seen how he had died, and he said, In truth, this man was the Son of God. When the Sabbath was over, Mary of Magdala, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices with which to go and anoint him. And very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb, just as the sun was rising. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked, they could see that the stone, which was very big, had already been rolled back. On entering the tomb, they saw a young man in a white robe, seated on the right-hand side, and he was struck with amazement. But he said to them, There is no need for alarm. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See, here is the place where they laid him. The Gospel of the Law Most of us have a myopic view of reality. We often only see the small picture and oblivious to the bigger one. This is a drastic mistake as it often translates into bad decisions, despair, or at the other extreme, false optimism. The same could be said about the average person's view of the church. For most of us, church refers to the physical building in which we worship, and to the more enlightened, the community of believers of Jesus Christ spread out throughout the world. In the latter understanding of the church, we often only remember the living members. They are the ones who count and do matter, and we often forget the dead. But traditionally, the church sees itself as a bigger tent of both the living and the dead. The Catechism of the Catholic Church explains how there are three states of the church at the present time, some of his disciples are pilgrims on earth. Others have died and are being purified, while still others are in glory, contemplating in full light God himself triune and one, exactly as he is. Traditionally, these three states have been referred to as the church militant, church penitent, also known as church suffering or church expectant, and the third, church triumphant. Together, these three make up the communion of saints which we profess in the creed. 
In our eagerness to eulogize the dead, we often end up with the mistake of neglecting our duty of praying for the souls in purgatory, the members of the church penitent or church suffering. For if our loved ones are already in heaven, they have no need of our prayers. Instead, we pray to those who are in heaven, the saints, and ask for the intercession. Our funeral masses would then be redundant since we can already start celebrating the death of our departed brother and sister as a feast. Now, if you find this ridiculous and even irreverent, then there is still hope. You've not entirely lost your Catholic sensibility. The idea of funerals and this particular day in the year, specifically set aside for praying for the dead, is premised on the belief that not all persons who die will immediately go to heaven. In fact, for the vast majority of us, we would most likely be in purgatory, even if we have lived a fairly good but far from perfect life. Of course, many people believe that by thinking or speaking of their loved ones in purgatory would seem sullying their memory. This is based on the belief that purgatory is often seen as some kind of negative judgment on the deceased, that a person was far from perfect, that he or she had feet of clay. But rather than a negative judgment, a belief that souls are being purified in purgatory is a positive judgment and one of hope. It means that though persons may not be perfect, there is still hope of their redemption in the ongoing work of God. As St. Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans, which we heard in the second reading, this hope is not deceptive because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. It is a hope not based on human merits, but the result of the sacrifice of Christ who died for sinful men. Thus the Catechism of the Catholic Church explains that all who die in God's grace and friendship but still imperfectly purified are indeed assured of the eternal salvation. But after death, they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. Souls in purgatory are destined for heaven. Once a soul is purified in purgatory, the baggage of sin and earthly attachments are gone, and they are able to love as God loves and enter into eternal union with Him. Many of us live with the guilt of not having done enough for our departed loved ones when they were alive. We want to make it up to them, but death has robbed us of the opportunity to do so, or that is what we think. In his confessions, St. Augustine remembers his mother dying and his brother expressing his concern to St. Monica that she would die outside of Rome rather than in a native country in Africa. St. Monica looked at her sons and said, Bury my body wherever you will. Let not care of it cause you any concern. One thing only I ask you, that you remember me at the altar of the Lord wherever you may be. <clears throat> Monica was not concerned about the location or the ostentatiousness of her tomb. She had only one wish, that her son, now an ordained priest, should offer the holy sacrifice of the Mass for the eternal repose of her soul. 
we too should make praying for the dead a priority, since it is an act of mercy and love for those who can no longer purify themselves through their growth in the virtues here on earth. This is what our departed loved ones need from us, not staring and moving eulogies, nor memorials, tributes, and imposing tombs. If our departed loved ones could speak from beyond the grave, we would most likely hear something similar to what St. Monica had requested from her sons. One thing only I ask of you, that you remember me at the altar of the Lord wherever you may be. For those who feel guilty for not having done their best for their loved ones because before their death, this is an opportunity to make up for lost time and effort. This too is what the Lord desires of us. The Lord in his patience desires salvation for all and that we love as he loves. The Church encourages you, therefore, to seek indulgences, pray novenas, fast, make sacrifices, and have masses set for the deceased, especially for those who have no one to pray for them. These acts of charity will increase the love of God in your heart and soul and help those who have gone before us in death. As St. Ambrose reminds us, we have loved them in life. Let us not forget them in death. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.